European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance Volume 39, Issue 19 Focus Issue on Thrombosis by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia Anticoagulation in Clinically Difficult Situations Insights into Safe and Effective Management Hemostasis is crucial for the maintenance of the integrity of the cardiovascular system. Too little of it leads to bleeding, as extensively described in the case of the Tsarevich Alexei Romanov, who was a bleeder due to a mutation in factor 7 or 9. Too much hemostasis, on the other hand, leads to intravascular thrombus formation either in the venous or arterial system with often detrimental clinical consequences, including pulmonary embolisms, stroke, and death. For the prevention of the latter scenarios, anticoagulation has been introduced, initially with warfarin, a vitamin K antagonist, and more recently with novel oral anticoagulants, or NOACs, such as abixaban, edoxaban, or rivaroxaban, interfering with factor X, and dibigatran, a thrombin antagonist. Dosage of these agents is crucial to be effective and avoid bleeding as outlined in the most recent ESC guidelines. With NOACs, renal function and body mass has to be considered an issue addressed in the current opinion Antithrombotic Therapy and Body Mass, authored by Bianca Rocha on behalf of the ESC Working Group on Thrombosis. The authors note that extremely low and high body weights have become common due to frailty with ageing and to the epidemic of obesity, respectively. These extreme body weights affect cardiovascular risk, including mortality, as well as the pharmacokinetics and safety profiles of antithrombotic drugs. Further research is warranted to optimise antithrombotic therapy in underweight as well as in different classes of obese patients, to guide dosing, dose adjustment, and or reference intervals, and to establish whether the balance of benefits and risks of antithrombotic drugs can be improved. Surgical and catheter-based cardiovascular procedures and adjunctive pharmacology have an inherent risk of neurological complications. In a second current opinion, proposed standardised neurological endpoints for cardiovascular clinical trials, Alexandra Jane Lansky and colleagues from the Yale School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut, USA, remind us that current diversity of neurological endpoint definitions and ascertainment methods in clinical trials has led to uncertainties in the neurological risk attributable to cardiovascular procedures and inconsistent evaluation of therapies intended to prevent or mitigate neurological injury. Benefit-risk assessment of such procedures should be based on well-defined neurological outcomes. The Neurologic Academic Research Consortium is an international collaboration intended to establish consensus on the definition, classification and assessment of neurological endpoints of a broad range of cardiovascular interventions. 
systematic application of the proposed definitions and assessments will improve our ability to evaluate the risks of cardiovascular procedures and the safety and effectiveness of preventative therapies. A traumatic injury requires proper hemostasis to avoid excessive blood loss or damage to vital organs. In their article, Resumption of Oral Anticoagulation Following Traumatic Injury and Risk of Stroke and Bleeding in Patients with Atrial Fibrillation, a nationwide cohort study, Leila Sterk and colleagues from the Gentofte University Hospital in Copenhagen, Denmark, examined the risks of mortality, stroke, major bleeding, and recurrent traumatic injury associated with resumption of vitamin K antagonists, or NOACs, following traumatic injury in 4,541 elderly patients with atrial fibrillation. Within 90 days after traumatic injury, 60.6% resumed vitamin K antagonists, 16.7% NOACs, and 22.7% did not resume anticoagulation, while 9.5% were switched from vitamin K antagonists to NOACs. Compared with non-resumption, vitamin K antagonists and NOAC resumption were associated with lower all-cause mortality with a hazard ratio of 0.48 and 0.55 respectively, and ischemic stroke with one of 0.56 and 0.54 respectively. On the other hand, major bleeding hazard increased with hazard ratios of 1.30 and 1.15 respectively. Thus, atrial fibrillation patients resuming vitamin K antagonists or NOACs following traumatic injury have lower hazard of all-cause mortality and ischemic stroke, but an increased hazard of major bleeding, but without additional hazards of recurrent traumatic injury. Whether anticoagulation following traumatic injury should generally not be withheld in atrial fibrillation is discussed in an editorial by Christopher B. Granger from the Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina, USA. Patients with valvular heart disease requiring surgical valve replacement in the aortic position do better with mechanical than bioprosthesis. However, mechanical valves require anticoagulation with vitamin K antagonists and hence are prone to bleeding. A particularly difficult clinical scenario is anticoagulation in patients with mechanical heart valves after intracerebral hemorrhage. In their article, Management of Therapeutic Anticoagulation in Patients with Intracerebral Hemorrhage and Mechanical Heart Valves, Hagen B. Huttner and colleagues from the Universitätsklinikum Erlangen in Germany investigated anticoagulation reversal and resumption strategies and their complications to define an optimal time window for restarting anticoagulation in 137 such patients. In half of these patients, anticoagulation was restarted and associated with a 26% increase in hemorrhagic complications and only a trend to decreased thromboembolic complications. Adjusting for crossovers provided an incidence rate ratio of 10.31 in disadvantage of anticoagulation for hemorrhages. 
A timing analysis showed harm until day 13 after intracerebral hemorrhage with a hazard ratio of 7.06. The hazard of both complications was increased for restarted anticoagulation until day 6 with a hazard ratio of 2.51. Restarting anticoagulation within less than two weeks after intracerebral hemorrhage in patients with mechanical heart valves was associated with increased hemorrhagic complications. Optimal weighting provided an earlier starting point of anticoagulation at day 6, but only for patients at high thromboembolic risk. The clinical applicability of these findings is highlighted in an editorial by Freyk W.A. Verhoyt from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. A further difficult clinical scenario is in patients with atrial fibrillation undergoing percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, as outlined in a recent ESC-focused update on dual antiplatelet therapy. In a meta-analysis entitled Safety and Efficacy of Dual versus Triple Antithrombotic Therapy in Patients with Atrial Fibrillation Undergoing Percutaneous Coronary Intervention, Deepak L. Bart and colleagues from the Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, USA, studied the safety and efficacy of dual versus triple antithrombotic therapy in 5,317 patients, of whom 57% received dual antiplatelet therapy. Compared with triple anticoagulation, TIMI bleeding was reduced by 47%, while major adverse cardiac events did not differ. Thus, compared to triple anticoagulation, dual antiplatelet therapy reduced TIMI major or minor bleeding by half with comparable outcomes. Whether dual antiplatelet therapy may be a better option than triple anticoagulation in atrial fibrillation following PCI is critically discussed in an editorial by Gilles Montalasco from the Pitié-Salpêtrière University Hospital in Paris, France. Observational studies indicate that statins reduce the risk of recurrent venous thrombosis. However, the mechanism is unknown. In their article, Resuvastatin Use Improves Measures of Coagulation in Patients with Venous Thrombosis, Willem Leifering and colleagues from the Leids Universitaire Medisch Centrum in Leiden in the Netherlands determined whether statin therapy improves the coagulation profile. 247 patients who had unprovoked venous thrombosis were randomized to resuvastatin 20 mg per day for four weeks or no intervention. For all tested coagulation factors, mean levels were decreased by rovuzostatin, whereas they hardly differed in controls. Subgroup analyses revealed that the decrease in coagulation factors by resuvastatin was more pronounced in patients with unprovoked venous thrombosis and cardiovascular risk factors. These results suggest that statin therapy might be beneficial in patients at risk of recurrent venous thrombosis. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.